0: The economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolutions on the way, but I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the brain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see Come up to Paul Newell. He read with Danny Baker. So you silly disco songs are leading Melody Baker. I'm that at Welcome to Radical, the podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music, and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Tessel Midach. Tessel is a professional soccer player for Rangers FC in Glasgow, Scotland, as well as an international for the Dutch women national team. She studied history at the University of Amsterdam, where she also researched the history of women's soccer in the Netherlands. In 2017, she was the first professional Dutch player to join the NGO Common Goal. Today, we'll talk about politics and women's soccer. Welcome to the podcast, Tessel. Thank you, Kos. Thank you for having me. So I dread to ask this, knowing where you come from, but what was the first sports team you ever supported? Well, growing up in Amsterdam, there there
1: can only be one team, I'm afraid Uh, for you. I believe you're a PSV supporter, but I uh, supported Ajax in Amsterdam (laughs) growing up.
0: Yes. So second, what is your favorite political (laughs) song?
1: It's a song by her called I Can't Breathe. She made it in 2020 after George Floyd and then, yeah, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement going on. Beautiful song. I think it won the Grammy Award for Song of the Year as well.
0: And finally, what is your favorite political book? That's George Orwell's The Road to Wigan Pier. Ah, I don't think I have ever read that. So that's a good tip. So I'm almost twice as old as you. And we didn't only grow up in different parts of the Netherlands, but to a certain extent in different countries. Because when I grew up, there was no women's soccer in my town or around us. And the girls that would play with us when they were 12, they would join the field hockey team. You had to be 12 to join that because there was no soccer. How was that for you when you grew up?
1: Well, to be honest, growing up, the most popular sport for girls and women was hockey or field hockey. So with me playing football as a girl, I I still got quite a lot of questions. Why do you play football? Which always baffled me. I was like, well, football is, first of all, well, the most enjoyable sport in the world, but also the number one sport in the Netherlands and worldwide. So of course, half of the population is going to be interested in it too, and not just boys and men. But I feel like there's been a huge yeah, mentality or mindset shift in the last decade or so. So at the moment, girls growing up, they're not frowned upon, or they don't have to answer questions like these uh, if they decide to play football. Right. I think at the moment, it's yeah, the most popular sport for girls and women too. Growing up, played with boys until I was aged 18. Wow. Um, so I was always one of the boys and one of the yeah few girls playing football. But to be honest, I loved it because it made me better. And I, I just enjoyed the competitiveness. There were hardly any girls teams growing up. So um, yeah, right. you kind of had to play with boys.
0: And it's again a confirmation of, in a sense, how young women's soccer is as a more popular sport in the Netherlands. But it has a much longer history, doesn't it?
1: It does. Yeah. So that's probably one of the main misunderstandings about women's football. It's been around just as long as men's football has been around. It's just has always been held back because mainly men felt like women shouldn't be playing football. But despite bans and despite prejudices and and whatever society thought of them, women have always played. Just usually much more anonymous and with lesser facilities than hopefully nowadays is the case.
0: Right. And the Netherlands is world famous for its soccer, but also for its soccer infrastructure. I've always been struck when I went to other countries to see how less the facilities were. Like I grew up in a town of 15,000 people. We had at least seven different soccer teams. And between them, they must have had between 12 and 15 pitches. How is that for women's soccer in the Netherlands at the moment?
1: Well, I don't necessarily think that you sort of should separate the two of them. So I think girls can just use the facilities that are already there. Certainly up to a certain age, maybe age 12, there are not so many either physical and mental differences between boys and girls. So I'm a big believer in mixed football, mixing up boys and girls in just whatever their level is and not necessarily in gender. Like I said, I've played with boys myself until I was 18. Of course, at some point it gets harder because boys all of a sudden are eight feet tall or like two meters tall and you know you, you start to notice the, the physical differences a little bit more come age 15 16 but like when it comes to the football structure i would like to think that the existing structure is just being opened up for girls and women too rather than sort of creating sort of your own structure and i think that's the case i think more and more girls and women in the netherlands have opportunities to play in women's football teams if they want to ideally also in boys and men's teams if they prefer that. So I think that, to be honest, we've made some great strides when it comes to the amateur section of football. When it comes to elite sports, I think there's a world to win for girls and women. There are a lot of professional football organizations and they have the structures in place to pick up the boys from their homes, bring them to school, then bring them to the training sessions and afterwards bring them back home, whereas... I know myself, I cycled all across Amsterdam to all, like all lots of different teams to make up my hours and to get as many football sessions in as possible. But I didn't have the support that was there for, for example, one of my male counterparts who played for Ajax, when he went to the same secondary school as I did, mm-hmm. the main for me would be to create equal opportunities in that sense when we talk about elite sports.
0: What I then hear is that you actually think it's good that most of women's soccer today is kind of integrated into existing structure of men's soccer. Because I also have heard some critiques of that, and they argue that if women's soccer is going to be developed by men's soccer clubs, which are still dominated by men's soccer, it will always be kind of second place. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting debate. And I think what I try to say, my answer just now is to sort of separate almost academy and elite sports, amateur sports and professional sports. Mm when it comes to elite sport professional sport I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for example in Scotland where I play at the moment you have a team called Glasgow City they've been champions for 14 years in a row they basically took women's football seriously and took their responsibility almost before anyone else did before the big teams like Rangers and Celtic did mm-hmm. and they've had a lot of success and they are not affiliated with a men's team they were just founded for a professional women's team and they became champions they played Champions League so the international European competition mm-hmm. in Sweden you have a lot of examples of clubs who are not affiliated with men's teams having done very well for themselves as well and then you have clubs like for example the club i play for at the moment rangers fc that's sort of embedded in an already existing football structure which also has its benefits so first of all let me say what the benefits could be of being an independent club it's the fact that you're not depending on results of the men's team or financial situation of the men's team for the women's team We have many examples of that in the Netherlands where clubs got into financial trouble. The first thing that's sort of taken off the budget is the women's team. So, but then it sort of comes back to the question, how do you value your women's team? Do you see it as something sort of on the side or something that sort of has to be there almost out of philanthropy? I don't know if that's the right word, but, or do we really take it seriously? And do we want the women's team to be successful just as we want our men's team and our academy teams to be successful? So there's a lot to say for having your own independent structure as a women's football team, knowing especially the history of the game and the prejudices and the hard work done by my predecessors to get it recognized and to be able to just... Play basically on the other hand, coming into an existing structure, like at Rangers, for example, has a lot of benefits as well, because there's already in sort of an existing knowledge when it comes to coaches and not just like football knowledge, but even on the gym strength wise, nutrition wise, we can just use the people that are already there. We can hopefully use an already existing fan base which is in the case of Rangers FC, very large, not just in Scotland, but worldwide. So if you want to grow the women's game, it can actually be quite beneficial to be affiliated to such a big and strong brand, because hopefully if they find out that they have a successful women's team as well, they might go and support that team too. So there's much to say for both sides. And like I said, I don't necessarily think that there's a right or wrong, but if I can give one more example from back home and from the, the club that you don't like as much, but Ajax was actually the first team from the traditional top three teams in the Netherlands together with Feyenoord and your beloved PSV that stepped into the women's game in 2012 and decided to start a professional women's team. And it's just been a massive sort of like everyone else sort of followed then and then stepped in. And even though the professional league in Netherlands started in 2007, so a couple of years before, but steps like that big club stepping in, it can take it to quicker to a next level. So sometimes you just need to use the yeah already existing power structures without losing women's football's own identity and history. And background because I certainly do think that women's football should soon just copy paste everything that's going on in the men's game at
0: the moment right so you already spoke about the relationship in the sense between the men's team and the women's team and I've always found that interesting because here in the US the women's national team for a very long time was more popular than the men's soccer team which had a lot to do of course with the different results the women's team was world-class team men's team not so much. I live far away from the Netherlands, so I might have seen this wrongly, but I got the impression that the popularity of the Dutch women's national team also spiked, particularly in a period that the men's national team did relatively poorly. Do you think there is that relationship or was this much more the fact that also the Dutch national women's team was getting much better?
1: When it comes to the success of the Dutch women's team, I think it was quite coincidental that it sort of went together with the men's team not qualifying for a big tournament. So like, of course, if you play for the women's team, you can't really impact the men's results. But I understand your point, but I don't necessarily think that sort of the spike in popularity happened because of the men's team not performing as well. I think in any sports success sells or Mm -hmm. success helps popularity i do think it's a smart move to have men's and women's international tournaments in different years so when there's a men's tournament in the summer then next summer there will be a women's tournament and vice versa in order not to sort of overlap too much so yeah that's, I think, a good strategy. When it comes to the US, by the way, do do think there's a cultural difference as well. Whereas in, like in the Netherlands, the football or soccer <laughs> for Americans is the, is the number one sport. In America, sports like American football, mm-hmm. basketball, ice hockey are quite big. So I think that's another reason why women's football took off much earlier than did elsewhere, In, for example, in Europe. But when I think back of the Dutch women's team and especially the summer of 2017, when the Netherlands were hosting the Euros and ending up winning it, that has been sort of the definitive breakthrough of women's football in the country just because everyone could see that they were playing amazing football and combining that with great results so in the end yeah success is one of the most important factors in growing the sport
0: absolutely in in every sport now one of the things that as someone who's interested in the connection between sports and politics is very interesting is there's a really big difference in terms of politics, political statements of women soccer players and men soccer players, and particularly here in the US. And you have players like Rapino who are almost political pundits, celebrities. But even in other countries, in the Netherlands or in other European countries, you often hear professional women soccer players take relatively controversial positions on politics. It's also quite interesting that you were the first professional Dutch soccer player to join Common Goal. Can you tell us what Common Goal is and why you joined it?
1: Yeah, and I'll first reflect on the first bit of your question, if that's okay. Why maybe female footballers are a bit more politically outspoken than their male counterparts, even though you have more and more examples in the men's game as well. But I feel like being a woman in football, football being such a man's stronghold, you almost have to be politically outspoken if you want to better things for yourself and for the next generation. So I think that's a factor that comes into play. So yeah, Common Goal, an organization that I joined in 2017. I just got injured, so I had a bit of time to reflect. and. I thought about how football has always been a great passion of mine, how how I had love for the game. But like in other sectors, uh, football got increasingly dominated by profit, by commercial interests. There was corruption and violence and commercialization. Lots of examples of that. The World Cup in Qatar taking place this November being another example with the views Mm -hmm. of human rights. Susie Reck, her book I would highly recommend for uh, listeners who want to know a bit more about the history of women's football. She wrote that football is increasingly removed from the realities of ordinary people. And she mentioned the ticket price is getting higher. So I got thinking like football is such a strong tool. It's the biggest sport globally. Men and women, girls and boys play it. So how can you use the power of football? Because you really only need a football and you can start conversations. It brings loads of different people from different backgrounds together. So how can you use that to, well... Well, for good basically and through one of my teammates at Man City where I played at the time I got to know more about Common Goal It's concerned with social causes the UN Global Goals and they basically try and use football to promote inclusivity and equity so the, the idea is that you can become part of that organization by pledging 1% of your salary to the common fund or to a specific organization so they basically oversee a lot of football organizations worldwide and the idea is that being a professional footballer, you're one of the lucky ones. So the idea is by pledging that 1%, you're able to give something back. And actually, well, there's a lot to say about Common Goal. And I think it's a, yeah, a great organization. I recently wrote an article about it if people want to know a little bit more about it. But I think it's an example of showing the power of football and how you can use it not just for your own profit, but to yeah better the people and, and the planet as well. Right.
0: Now, I saw in another interview a picture from your Instagram page where you recommended the book by Chimamande Ngozi Adichie called We Should All Be Feminists. Do you agree with her and why?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Adichie's work. Actually, when you asked me earlier about my favorite political book, I was doubting whether or not to mention her Half of a Yellow Sun, written in 2006 about the war in Biafra in Nigeria, where she's from. But yeah, I definitely think we should all be feminists, like she writes, because it's so basic, isn't it? Like, for me anyway, it just means that you want the same opportunities for men and for women away from traditional gender roles, for example, like women shouldn't play football. So yeah, we could disagree with that. I actually had quite an interesting talk a while ago with the general manager at Rangers Rangers women's team and she mentioned that we shouldn't necessarily strive for equality as such but more for equity. So if you translate it to football like we don't necessarily want the same salaries as our male counterparts which would make us millionaires straight away by the way but we want equity so we want good facilities we want to be treated in the right way we want to access to a gym like the basics. Right. So Like I said, I'm a big fan of Adichie's work, but this is quite an activist one. But yeah, to be a feminist is a no-brainer for me. And I think it just comes down to the fact that you want the same opportunities for men and women.
0: Right. I absolutely agree. And I also really like that book. With regard to the situation of equity, you have already played for six different clubs in four different leagues. I assume there are quite some differences in terms of both the professionalism of these leagues and the support. Can you say a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I started off in the Dutch League, then played in the English League, then the Italian League, and I'm now in the Scottish League, just for your listeners. <laughs> of the four leagues of them, the English League is the most professional, with the highest level, the most uh, competitiveness between clubs. But you see that they have quite a long period in transitioning to the professional league that they are at the moment. Where I am right now in the Scottish League, that's something we, we strive for to to reach that same level. That at the moment, there are three top teams, so Rangers, Celtic, and Glasgow City that I mentioned earlier. And the rest of them, they can't offer professional contracts as of yet to their players. So they have to work second jobs and they can't really be in full time, which obviously has a knock-on effect on the overall level of the league. And when it comes to the Dutch league, it's actually quite similar. So some teams lack a bit of financial support and even earning a minimum wage is for the most players in the league, not a given. Hence why many Dutch players like myself play abroad. And I've also played in the Italian league for a year of Fiorentina. Amazing, by the way, to live in Florence for a year. What a beautiful city. Italy actually has quite a rich history when it comes to women's football. But the reason that I only stayed there for a year had to do with the fact that we didn't have access to the best facilities and that the training methods weren't the most professional either. So as a female professional footballer, There are more and more opportunities, but you really have to look carefully at what can they offer me in terms of the infrastructure that we talked about earlier. And it is getting better. And I feel very grateful that I've been able to see so many different parts of the world and got to know different cultures and football cultures. But like I said, there's still a lot of work to do when it comes to offering good and safe and professional environments for women who want to play football professionally.
0: Right. And talking about football cultures, Rangers, as its legal predecessor, Glasgow Rangers, is known for the derby against Celtic, which called the old firm. And I went to one of the men's old firms way back. It was probably the most abhorrent verbal violence I've ever seen or heard. Does that also play out when you play the women's team of Celtic FC or is the atmosphere very different?
1: I would say it's different. It's less heated. I can imagine the atmosphere you've been in going to the old firm. Like, to be honest, if I meet people here in Glasgow and and they ask me, oh, what do you do here? Play football? Oh, for what team? Then there's always a bit of a (laughs) who? Like, (laughs) are they Rangers or Celtic? But even if they are or their family support Celtic, then they actually get quite a lot of positive reactions. So I would say it's less heated in general at the moment, whether you're a man or a woman. But definitely in a women's game, it's less heated, even though, yeah, it's still very much a thing. Like, I think both Rangers and Celtic try to move away from the sectarianism that has has caused a lot of violence, especially like here in Scotland, but in Northern Ireland as well. Maybe for your listeners to understand, Rangers historically is a unionist club. So pro-UK, Protestant, and Celtic has more bonds with the Republic of Ireland. They're Catholic. So yeah, there's a lot of sort of dividing lines between the two clubs. But if I look at 2022 and then how it is to play for Rangers at the moment there, you can still notice the rivalry in smaller things. For example, before games, we don't go into a team huddle. Because apparently, historically, it used to be a Catholic practice. So at Rangers, we are not allowed to do that. And we are also not encouraged to wear green and white boots. So when it comes to the colors, they (laughs) would like us to stick to Rangers colors rather than the green and white, which is associated with Celtic. So it's still sort of lingering, I would say, at the moment. But again, when we play Celtic, supporters can sit next to each other without any fights breaking out. So... Like I said,
0: women's football is quite different in that sense. And for the better, for sure. Finally, what is the greatest misunderstanding about women's soccer in the Netherlands?
1: Yeah, so we didn't get to speak too much in your earlier question, but my bachelor thesis was one of the earliest histories of women's football in the Netherlands, and especially about the 20s and the 30s. And there was actually quite a surprisingly bloom of women's football at that time. We know that women's football has been around in the Netherlands since the end of the 19th century, coming over from England and Scotland. Actually, the first ever match played with modern rules women's football game was played in 1881. In Edinburgh, where you've lived yourself and yeah, around 15, 20 years later, the sport sort of moved to the Netherlands as well. But the first sort of bloom of popularity was in the 20s and 30s when there was a bit of social unrest going on and it was mass unemployment and women felt more encouraged to break with convention and to do whatever they liked Mm -hmm. by playing football which led in the Netherlands to a formal ban by the Dutch FA on women's football in 1937, which was to be lifted in 1971, yeah, wow. decades later. So only in 1971 did the Dutch FA decide to bring women's football officially under their umbrella. So I would say the greatest misunderstanding is that women's football in the Netherlands started in 1971. Right. <laughs> so some people say, yeah, so it's only 50 years old. Say, well, <laughs> it's more like 150 years old rather than just the 50 years. Like women's football has been around a long time, whether or not there were bands or whether or not they received support from the male-dominated governing bodies. They kept playing, but just, yeah, a bit more anonymous and under the radar. So we do need to make up ground and try to accelerate the growth. And yeah, like I said earlier during this podcast, trying to give girls and women the same
0: opportunities as boys and men. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Tessel. It was my pleasure. You can follow Tessel Midach on both Instagram and Twitter at at Tessel Middag. Thank you for listening to Radical. The music is from the Gonads with the classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall and I'm your host, Kas Mude. If you like the episode, please subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate us. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way, but I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain and before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Portland. Paul- he went with Danny Baker, see you, silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I see him down the Dunker, playing with his beard. No wonder that has Capital so that a little weird.